Well, turn, if you would, to the passage that we read, or the passages that we read in 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9. And I want to deal with the, well, what's a, it's a call to generous giving. Uh, my, my mind had been drawn to, to the subject, I suppose, over the past few weeks, part, partly as a response to, to Christmas, when we remember a God who, who gives, and we consider verses like the one uh, behind me, which is taken from the passages that we'll be uh, looking at. And there was a reminder too when we were going through Malachi, and I think it was Rich dealing with the, uh, that call um, to a disobedient people uh, from the prophet Malachi for the people there to bring the full tithes uh, into the storehouse and know something of God's blessing poured out upon them. And it's probably true to say that it's easier for an unpaid elder like myself to preach on such a subject than a paid pastor, where he might be A, embarrassed, and B, accused of, 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 of self-interest. So here we are in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And, and what we have in these two chapters is uh, probably the clearest teaching on giving in the whole of the New Testament. No uh, dealing of the subject of giving would be complete without uh, a good reference to these two chapters. And the, uh, the, the account that we read of uh, probably ar- arises as a result of a situation that's referred to in Romans. Perhaps if you just turn briefly to Romans chapter 15 and verse uh, 25 where Paul says this, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material Blessings. So I think that forms the kind of the backdrop to what we're talking about. There was real poverty in the uh, church in Jerusalem. Uh, we can speculate why that might be uh, the case. Many people have been converted in Jerusalem, as you, as, as you know, and, and there was a considerable amount of persecution. So it's quite likely that people who were converted had maybe lost jobs or maybe their businesses were perhaps boycotted by uh, the Jews and uh, others. And there was just, uh, there had arisen in this church a real need, a real poverty, uh, such that uh, Paul as an apostle takes it upon himself to do something uh, about it and make that need known. So Paul's basically saying, well, who's going to help these poor believers in Jerusalem, where we're told when we come to 2 Corinthians 8 that the Macedonian churches certainly would. They would put their hands up and, and help. They might be nearly a thousand miles away uh, from the situation in Jerusalem, but they would help. And they may be mainly Gentile uh, believers, uh, but they had no problem in helping out their Jewish brethren. And what a testimony that would have been to a watching world with the dislike that the Jews had for the Gentiles and and vice versa. Here we have a situation with with young Gentile believers helping out 
the Jewish believers back in, uh, in, in Jerusalem. Now, when we speak of the churches in Macedonia, we're probably including churches like uh, the Thessalonian church, the Philippian church, and the Berean church, and maybe others as well, uh, but particularly those uh, three. And perhaps it's, it's kind of helpful to you know, put names to these churches because we know something of the letters that were written to them. So we have a little picture, uh, perhaps in, a, in our mind, of, of the type of church that was represented here. And then what Paul does now in the first few verses of chapter 8, he sets out what's a really challenging example because he's saying to the Corinthian believers, take a look at what the churches in Macedonia have done. Take a leaf out of their book, as it were. So what have they done? Well, they displayed great evidence of the grace of God in their lives. Look at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Adonia. So the response of these believers was, was evidence of the fact that God was at work in these folk. God was at work in a situation which was really tough. We're told in verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Despite the situation that these believers found themselves in, there was real affliction in their church as well. Now, we don't know exactly what, that, what form that affliction took. They were not a wealthy church. We're told in verse 2, it's out, out of their uh, extreme poverty. This outflow of generosity comes. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a contradiction, isn't it? You read it and you say, well, that can't be. Uh, their extreme poverty overflowed in generosity. Well, how does that work out? Well, it's, it's just, it's just a, a remarkable outworking of the grace of God in the lives of these people. At the root of this was their abundant joy in their, in, in their faith. Look at the, 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 uh, the adjectives that are used, abundant, extreme, rich. There's no, no half-hearted religion uh, for these folk. And h- how, much did, how much did they give? What were they prepared to give? Well, verse 3 tells us, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. There was no cajoling necessary by the uh, a- apostle. Uh, indeed, their, 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 their willingness was quite remarkable, verse 4. They were begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. I mean, I don't know how, in, how you feel when you make a gift to some cause uh, or, or, or other. I hope you don't do it kind of reluctantly or, or grudgingly. But what an example these people uh, are that uh, they, re- they regard it as a favor, a privilege to, to, to give in the support of the struggling believers in Jerusalem. They begged us for the favor of taking part. What a privilege it is to, uh, to serve God in this way. But then there's a verse that I think we really need to take note of. Verse 5, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. Before they gave their money, there had been a giving of themselves to God. To God and to his servant Paul, in fact. 
And it teaches us that, that real giving of, of money and time and, and, and all that we have and are, is rooted in a giving of ourselves to, to God. Have you ever really done that? Has there been a real giving of yourself to God? Well, in a sense, I hope there is. Isn't that the essence of con- conversion? We come, we, we come to God seeking his blessing and his, 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 and his forgiveness, and we bow our knee to him. And, and we say, from, from now on, you are our Lord. Uh, but these things need working out, don't they, on a day-by-day basis. And here's this, this bunch of, 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 of believers who, who, who wholeheartedly have given themselves uh, to, to God. Uh, and, and having given themselves to God, well, then it's only natural. What, you know, just part of the outflow of that is generous giving of their money to support the churches in Jerusalem. Uh, people talk of, of believers having, having an open hand uh, as far as their possessions are concerned. And I think it's a good picture. And, uh, you know, just ask you, is, is that how you view all the things that God has given? Do you, do you kind of feel as if you, you hold them on a, an open hand before God, asking that, that he, he would dictate how you use them? Or is, that, is there that sense of, well, you, maybe you can have that, but you can't have that. There's that holding back uh, from God all that's due uh, to him. Well, that's the situation of the Macedonian church, uh, to, to which we might say, well, well, wow, that is a real challenge. A giving that's, uh, that's eager, that's joyful, that's sacrificially generous, totally unprompted. And, and Paul is saying to the Corinthians pretty much, you follow that. Here's, here's an example I'm setting before you follow that. So we have in the next passage a call to follow suit, and that's dealt with in uh, verses 6 through to 15, and then the opening verses of, of chapter 9 as, as, as well. What about you in Corinth, Paul is saying? And it seems to me that, in, in essence, what, what Paul is saying to these believers is that um, I know you've got good intentions. I, I know something of the plans that you made some time ago to, to take up a, an, a, an offering and, and to help in this situation. But it, it, it's, it, it seems to me that there's a slight edginess that the, uh, that the apostle has. He, he wants to see them complete things. He wants to see them actually do it, to have more than just good intentions, to see it through. And, and that's uh, the the essence of a, of a lot of what Paul says. So in verse 6, Accordingly we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. And maybe Titus had, had organised some sort of appeal or, or, or whatever, and uh, now he's saying, well, we, we want Titus to come along and, and get you to, to finish it off, to complete it. Just turn over to pages 10 and to verses 10 and 11 where he says this, and in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. So don't stop at the first base, as it were, with this desire and this kind of this this start that has been made, but but see it through to completion. 
And he says to them, I want you to excel uh, in this particular gift of, of, of giving. Uh, g- giving is a gift. It's a, it's, a, it's a grace. Verse 7, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I don't know, there may be a, just a, a, a hint of uh, sarcasm or criticism in the words that Paul uh, says. We know that the Corinthians laid great store on certain spiritual gifts. And he mentions some of them. Uh, See that you excel in everything in faith, in speech and in knowledge. Speech and knowledge was certainly something they excelled in and laid great store uh, on it, and it's as if Paul is saying, "Look, you 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 value these particular gifts. Here, here's another gift I want you to excel in. I want you to excel in the gift of generous giving." I think it's something. It's a challenge, maybe, to uh, our, ourselves, just to ask ourselves as a church, or maybe as an individual, what what it is we deem to be uh, important and what we think we uh, excel at as a. As, as, as a church, and there may be a number of things, we, we may say, well, uh, what do we lay great store on? Well, we lay great store on the, on the purity of doctrine and good expository preaching. Uh, we don't want to tolerate uh, error. We want, we, we want sound biblical uh, teaching, and that's great. And we value biblical church government. We, we think that if God has uh, told us how it is we ought to, 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 to run a church, then, then we ought to try and implement that in practice in, in, in our church life, and we try to do that. And, that, and that's good as well, isn't it? Uh, but it's as if Paul is saying, well, well don't stop there, because there are other things as well to excel in. Accelerate, excel in the gift of generous giving. Prove your love and sincerity. Show that you are genuine. Uh, he says, verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And then verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What has Paul done here? He's He's firstly set, it, set before them the example of the Macedonian churches and their, uh, the, the amazing example that they set. But there's a greater example that he's setting before them now, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That uh, it, when, we're, when we're thinking about our, our giving, surely at the starting point is what God has given uh, to us, that in our poverty we've been made rich because in his richness he became poor. These are great truths for us, and the Corinthians are being reminded of that. So over into chapter 9, and what's he saying? Don't, don't let me down, he's saying. Don't let yourselves down, verse For otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated. 
to say nothing of you for being so confident. Paul wants to avoid a situation um, where he kind of comes to them and finds that this hasn't been done. So he's, he's, he's saying, look, just sort it. You know, how embarrassing would it be? Um, I've been boasting of you to the churches in Macedonia. I've told them about your desire and your, the start that you've, that you've made. If some of them were to come over and find that you hadn't actually done it, well, you, you, you would be embarrassed, and I would be Im, Im, embarrassed by that. So get it done. And then Paul's, Paul moves on to a description, really, of what giving should look like. And he does that in verses 6 through to the end of the chapter. He starts off, the point is this. The point is this. He, he wants to make a point. Well, actually, he wants to make quite a few points. So this is a kind of preacher's device, isn't it? Uh, so it's just one point, but actually he's got four or five um, it's a bit like the preachers who say, and with this I finish, and then, you know, half an hour later they're, they're done. So Paul seems to be doing something similar. The point is this. He, he wants to set out some principles to them. And the first principle is this, that giving should be generous. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly, sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Giving is like sowing seed. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. It's a law of nature. You know, ask a farmer or a gardener. There's a relationship between the two. And Paul is saying that apply that to the realm of, of giving. Listen to the words of Jesus. This is Luke six thirty eight. Give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then the verses we looked at a few weeks ago in Malachi. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need so god is encouraging us to be to be generous givers and 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 promising uh, that that he will bless the generous giver look at the uh, words that are used from verse 8 god is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every Good work. He speaks of supplying and multiplying your seed for sowing, increasing the harvest of your righteousness, enriching you in every way. So he, he, he piles superlative upon superlative, doesn't he, to make this, this, this point that uh, the blessing of God will be poured out on the generous giver. Just a few quotes from the Proverbs. Proverbs 11, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. Proverbs 22 verse 9, he who has a generous eye will be blessed for he gives of his bread to the poor. So there's these promises of God to bless those who themselves are a blessing to others. And, and the blessing of God upon people um, 
may sometimes be in material form. God is sovereign and uh, uh, I'm sure there are situations where, you know, people who are are truly generous in a sense are rewarded by, uh, by, by God materially because God knows that you know what they have and, and, and the way in which God blesses them, uh, they won't hoard it to themselves. They they will enrich others with it. But the but the blessings of God are just are not just material as well as spiritual blessings as well as well. And we're not to think of this in terms of well, I give a pound and God gives me back a pound, or I give a pound and God gives me ten pound, as if God is some kind of celestial slot machine. That's not the point at all. So what should giving look like? It should be generous. Verse 7, it should be willing, not grudging, and not the result of pressure or compulsion. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Uh, it seems to me that Paul is kind of treading a fine line here, isn't he? He's, he's exhorting and he's encouraging these believers to, uh, to, to do this. But he's at pains to say, I'm, I'm not forcing you to do this. Verse 8 of chapter 8, I say this not as a command. Chapter 9, verse 5, I want it to be a willing gift, not an exaction. So it should be willing. Our gifts should be willing, not because we've been beaten over the head uh, by a, a, a preacher or, or, or whatever. So the giving should be generous. It should be willing. It should be cheerful. Pleasurable, the cause of happiness, never the cause of regret. Again, in verse 7, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I think the word is literally hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Um, well, think about it. Um, what, what, what one word, maybe, would you, dis- would you use to describe your own attitude to, to, to giving? Um, I, I, I hope it is that, that you would sort of say, well, I'm a, yes, I'm, I'm glad to do it. I'm a cheerful giver. What God does not want is giving that's kind of sparing or, or, or dutiful or, or regretful. And you think, well, th- th- that ought never to be, surely, because if we understand remotely all that God has done for, for us, then how could we possibly give reluctantly? But sadly, that is the case. We, we do lose sight easily of what God has done for us. And then we can become miserly and, and mean in our giving. But that ought not to be. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So that's a description of what giving should look like. Uh, and then we have an explanation of the, the outcome of such giving. What's the result of such giving? Verses 12 through verse 14. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. The outcome of such giving, well, firstly, the needs of the saints are supplied. And it would be easy to stop there, wouldn't it? You know, what was the purpose of the, of the, uh, the Macedonians and the Corinthians uh, giving to the church in Jerusalem? Well, it was, it was to meet their, their needs. They were poverty-stricken, they needed some financial help, and, and that's what was given. End of story. But it's not the end of the story, because the, the benefits are far more than just the relief of the poverty. He's saying that there is great thanksgiving uh, to God. Verse 11. 
through us will produce thanksgiving uh, to God. The ministry of this service isn't only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Glory is brought to God's name because of the obedience and generosity of God's people. And glory is brought to God and thanksgiving is, 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 is made to God because people realise that when there is an outpouring of generosity, uh, the root of it is the grace of God in the life of the individual. That's, we learnt, that's what we learnt right at the very beginning in chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. The generous giving is the outworking of that grace in a life. And it's more than that. It's the, uh, the, the giving, it brings about a real fellowship between the two churches and between the believers in the churches. It brings about a, a fellow feeling. Uh, the generosity, it, it, it prompts heartfelt thankfulness in prayer as, as they just contemplate the grace of God in the lives of others and give thanks for that. So they're grateful to God and they're grateful to God's people. And, and, and a kindred spirit is developed between the two situations. So there are many outcomes of, of giving. And then we have a fitting conclusion, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. It's a lovely way of finishing the section, really, isn't it? It, t- it just takes us back uh, to God and the sending of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that inexpressible gift, uh, that gift that's so great that we can't... It's beyond telling. And that's what lies at the, at the root of of generous giving. Well, just before we, we, we finish, I'd just like to make some application of what we've been looking at. Um, what, what would God have us to do? Well, I think it's right uh, that for, for all of us, we take stock of our, our giving in the light of God's word. And the start of a year, is, it's a good time for taking stock, isn't it? That's the sort of thing, that's what we do at this time of the year, or perhaps what we ought to do. So we sit down and we ask ourselves questions, maybe, you know, what best describes my, my giving? Is my giving really generous and cheerful and willing and sacrificial? Well, if it is, great. Uh, you excel in that gift, and that's, that's lovely. Uh, but maybe it's mean or dutiful or reluctant, or maybe it's somewhere in, 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 in between. And there's some repentance uh, required and some change required, and there's a need perhaps for us to, to sit down and to, to present all that we have to the Lord, to present our wealth or our income to the Lord and, 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 and say, well, what would you have me to do with this? It's that recognition that for the Christian that all, nothing that we have is, is, is really ours. We're stewards, we're, we're managers of the gifts that God has given to us. And, and, and we want these things that God has given us, we want them to count for eternity, and so we, we, we hold them out, as I said before, on, on an open hand before God and, and, and ask of him, what would you have me to do with what you have given uh, to me? And then when we've done that and, in a sense, come to a conclusion, what do we do? Well, we do what Paul exhorts the Corinthians to, to we, just, we do it. <laughs> we, 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 
we, we fulfill our intentions. We don't just stop um, at the level of the intention. And there's no shortage of need. You know, to, to what should we give? Well, there's the normal ministry of a local church that needs paying for. Uh, we need a pastor and uh, we need to pay a pastor and maybe we want an assistant uh, in due course and there are bills to pay and, and so on. We, 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 we know that. So there are the, the needs, the basic needs of, of the ministry of a local church. They're the missionaries that we seek to support and missionary organisations that help them and they, they, are, they are needy. There are churches and causes that are needy. It was just a month or so ago, I think Adrian Carey Jones was with us speaking of Romanian ministries and uh, many strands to that ministry. Uh, but but you know, most of them had you know, one thing in common. There were real needs that, that Romanian ministries were seeking to, uh, to help to meet. Situations like Chiwoka Hospital that we've been supporting as a church over many years and particularly so uh, at Christmas. There are rural churches up and down Wales where they need a pastor but can't afford one or they can't, they can't pay him properly. There are third world countries that need to see something of the love of Christ expressed through organisations like Tear Fund and others like them. There are good works like Bible colleges that need help. Organisations like the Christian Institute or the Evangelical Movement of Wales and others that need to be supported to continue the work that they do. Then there are pastors in countries like India or, or Africa. They're too poor to get their hands on good Christian literature and, and need help to do that. And there are trusts that exist to try and facilitate that. And you could go on and on and, 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 and on. There's no shortage of of need and the challenge to us as a as, as a people who are relatively well blessed is to be those who uh, give yes according to the way God has blessed us and beyond as the Macedonians have done well I pray that God would make us to be a, a joyfully generous group of of, of people uh, who who are a blessing to others and know something of the blessing of God uh, ourselves.